0: You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Good morning, y'all. Good to have you with us. Worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here at Summit Community Church, both here and on our campus online. Glad to have you with us today. We're spending the next two weeks, these past two Sundays, building momentum towards next Sunday called Go Sunday. The reason we pulled an Audible out of Mark was to share that because we felt it's critical to build momentum towards that, excuse me, Go Sunday because we want to go into. Sunday, Next Sunday being Go Sunday is our Engagement Sunday, to be all in with what God has put before us in missions in our backyard and beyond. So next Sunday morning, we're going to have with us Luke Schreifer with Link Ministries we partnered with to be in our other countries around the world in Central America. Also going to have with us Jake Edwards as a missionary from Costa Rica that we're trying to partner with, and also Nathan Hardiman from Engadi in- in- Ministries in Zone 18 Guatemala City. And to know about Guatemala City, Zone 18, I ran into uh, Christian at Little Guatemala. His brother is here now. And so he finally got here on asylum uh, safety because his life was in danger. He got here. It's big praise. But I saw him uptown Friday morning, and I told him, thanks for bringing the trailer, son, today. And he said, you're welcome. And I said, we went to Guatemala a couple weeks ago. And he said, where? And I said, Guatemala City, Zone 18. And he looks at me and he goes, Oh. I said, yes, 18, he said, oh, bad place. I said, yeah, it is. It is a bad place, but God has called us there. And as we went on this trip, the footage you saw on the streets is in Guatemala City in zone 18 on our journey there in the trip. And as Gary and Jeremy and I all went, as you were praying for us, we were praying. God revealed our hearts and our eyes and our ears what you want us to see and hear and understand and put before us what your plan is for us. As we got into zone 18, we said, Lord, are we finished here? Are we done here to move forward? Or are we, is there more work to do? And God strongly impressed on all three of us at different times, but in the same way, God impressed strongly that He is putting many new things ahead of us, but we're not finished in zone 18. There's still more for us to do in zone 18 to partner there in our partnerships in Central America, in Guatemala City, and in Zone 18. So we're kind of standing these next two weeks building momentum towards next Sunday, having them on the stage with us to have a Q&A to share about their, their ministries, how we're partnering up with them next Sunday morning. So moving forward to that, come and join us next Sunday and be a part of this next Sunday morning as we participate in Go Sunday. Last Sunday was about why, why go? Why does God command us to go? How do we go? on mission. Today is a, digging a little bit deeper, why do we give? Why do we give to missions? How do we give to missions? We're a church that believes in giving and going. We don't go without giving. We don't give without going. We go and give in our backyard and beyond. So today's about the giving portion of missions itself. I found an interesting article this past week about some rich people in the world. You can imagine some of the names I'm going to be talking about. Elon Musk is worth $219 billion. Jeff Bezos, $171 billion. Bill Gates, who's $129 billion. I looked at those numbers, and I'm like, I can't even fathom those figures. I can look at the zeros, but it's like, that's beyond my comprehension of that many zeros. I can comprehend zeros, but not that many zeros, maybe three or four. It's like, that blew my mind when I read that, and I'm a person who follows sports a lot. I saw where LeBron James signed a two-year contract these next two years with the Lakers worth $97.1 million to dribble a ball, $97.1 million the next two years. He's made $153 million in the past four seasons with the Lakers. Now, a little perspective. I read an article about that. It said LeBron James and what he's going to make in this season, he makes $3.8 million per month, $855,000 per week, $122,000 per day, $5,000 per hour, and $85 per minute, and $1.41 per second. The time it took me to read the article, LeBron made $211. I was like, man, he earned money while I was reading the article. Now, while that is intriguing, it's sort of fun to talk about it, think about it, intriguing. While it's intriguing and fun, it's totally impossible to comprehend. I can't even fathom, wrap my mind around that kind of wealth and that earning potential. And we commonly will think about these people and people like them. And think we think about it like this, just think what God could do. If God would capture these people with the power of the gospel, if God would capture their wallets for the kingdom, think what God could do through them and through that kind of resourcing. I want to challenge you with a thought. God would love to capture them, capture their lives, and in essence, capture their wallets, but He wants their hearts. God would love this. But here's the essence. God wants us to be good managers and stewards of what he's blessed us with. Period. Rather than thinking what God could do with them, I want to challenge you with this. There's a much bigger and much more important question for today for us in our lives. Is this. What can God do with us if our hearts and our wallets are surrendered to Jesus? Don't think about those kind of things. Think about... You, think about me, think about us. What can God do with me if my heart and my wallet is fully committed to Jesus Christ and his kingdom? Because you know what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. And God can do as much or more and abundantly more with what I make and you make as he can with a billionaire when we're sold out committed to him. God can do this. God does this. Jesus Christ can do more. He says, Jesus says, I will take care of things. Christ said more about money in the Bible than he did anything else in all of his teachings. Why? That's where we trip up the most. Dave Ramsey has said there's 800 verses in the Bible, in the Scriptures, about money itself. Why would God be so focused on money towards us? Because money is an exact indicator of a person's true character. How you and I handle our money and our resources tells about our character and who we are, and God focuses on it because we're not good sometimes at managing our resources, managing funds He has blessed us with. Christ says to us there's negative temptations towards money, towards our resources, our talents, our times, our monies, how we handle it because a couple things. We either don't give, period, we give reluctantly, or we give with wrong motives. See, money and possessions and how we choose to handle them is a genuine reflection of our hearts. What did Christ say in Matthew 6? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The analogy is this. Basically, take your life and how you invest your time and your talents and your resources, all your monies. Follow that pathway of what it looks like in your life. At the end of that pathway, you will find an ending, and you will find on that ending a throne. And whatever's on that throne is where your heart truly is. So I challenge us, but the thought is, when you follow that path, is God on the throne or is it something or someone else on that throne? Jesus was very clear about this. Paul jumps in here with the Corinthian church, challenging them about their gift that they have pledged to other churches in that period of time, and he's ministering all around the area. In this church, prior to verse 6 and verse 5, Paul makes a statement. In verse 5, he says, Therefore... Make a transition. He says, I consider it necessary to urge you to go ahead, brothers come ahead and arrange in advance for a gift, that generous gift that you promised, so that it would be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. That's a strong word. But Paul is saying, you know what? He reminded them of their pledge and that they must stay true to their word. In Paul's day, they would have understood this term called pledge dodgers. They knew this term because of tax dodgers. If you avoided your taxes in the marketplace in Athens, there would be a poster on the wall with names, and if your name's on that wall, that means you're avoiding your tax. You're a tax dodger. They knew this terminology, and they knew pledge dodgers in Scripture. The most famous pledge dodgers was a husband and wife in, chapter, in Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira. They were well aware of this. He says, don't be a pledge dodger. I want you to give this gift, this generous gift you pledged, with the right kind of heart and right motives and right actions. Paul says, not as an extortion. See, that word extortion means this, a gift expecting something in return. He says, don't give it with strings attached. Don't give it expecting something. Give it generously and willingly out of your hearts. Paul's first point he makes in verse 6 is a very well-known analogy to us about farming. More applicable in their day because they were agricultural society, but we can understand it, I think. A farming analogy about sowing and reaping. What does he say? You sow a little, you reap a little. Sow a lot, you reap a lot. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Now, if a teacher stands before you and says, everybody, now get this, the point is this. You can sit for 45 minutes in a 50-minute class, not get your pen out, your notebook out, or whatever. As the teacher says, this is on the exam. The point is this. Here we go. Well, Paul says right here. He says, Everybody, the point is this: colon. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. The contrast, sparingly and generously. Generously means upon blessings and upon the principle of blessings. As we say a lot here, it's a common analogy for us is this. We are blessed to be a blessing. Say that with me. We are blessed to be a blessing. Say it like you mean it. We are blessed to be a blessing. Thank you. We're blessed to be a blessing. That's what that word means. And right here he says a farmer never thinks of sowing as a loss of seed because the harvest will provide the seed for the next season. See, no sower, no farmer begrudges the seed that they cast upon the ground, or tries to get by with sowing as little as possible. Doesn't happen. Where little Guatemala sits now as a coffee shop used to be a feeding seed. My grandfather planted gardens every year and he did not drive, and so I got the phone call to bring him up to get his seed, come planting season. He'd called me, "Mike, I need you to take me to town to get my seed." OK? We'd go up here and get the seed, and he would go in and say, I want uh, this particular tomato plant, okay, this particular green bean, this particular this, whatever. they go around these bins and have the metal little scoopers and have little paper bags. And How many do you want? Well, give me five pounds of that, three pounds of this. And they bag them up, put the price on them. He checks out. And I watched him as he sowed his garden. He plowed it. And when I was little, you know what my job was? Sit on the tiller so it didn't bounce off the tracks on the rocks. I'd to sit on the handlebars and hold out. He said, I needed to weigh it down. You're my weight. I said, thank you. I can be used for something. And I was like six and seven. That was my role. But I watched him as he plowed the rows, got them prepared the ground, getting it ready for planting. And my grandfather never stood, stood back and grabbed his bag and begrudgingly or sparingly said, let's see, one, two, I had 20 seeds on this row, 15 on this row is a little bit shorter. He didn't do that. What did he do? He walked the row, just grabbed it in his bag and walked the row and spread the seed because he knew that what? The more seed that goes in the ground, the more harvest comes when it's harvesting time. He never begrudged the seed. If you and I begrudge the seed, the harvest will never come. We got to plant generously. This all goes back to the giver's heart and God's grace and the manner of giving. God gives back blessings to those who give as a matter of blessing. See, it's not how much we give, but rather that we give as generously as possible with the attitude and joy of blessing. He willingly, the farmer willingly sows all he can and trusts that God will bless the sowing with a bountiful harvest. If that farmer for some reason cheats or holds back on the sowing, what happens in the harvest? He'll be cheated out of the harvest. The more he sows, the more they sow, the greater the harvest when harvest time comes, and more seed for the next time the planting comes for the next harvest. When this principle is applied to giving, it means that plentiful giving will result in a plentiful harvest. Why do we say that? Why can God guarantee that principle? Because God can guarantee that because he is in charge. Did you catch it in this passage? God's in charge of the seed and the increase. God owns both. God has everything. The fact that generosity to the poor would meet with overflowing blessing in return was common in their way of thinking. See, Proverbs 11 says, One gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. Paul makes it very clear that God rewards generosity with material abundance. It happens sometimes because, why? God wants to make it possible for more blessing to others in their lives. God makes it possible for people to be even more generous as He blesses because God says, I'm in charge of the seed and the harvest. I'm in charge of the planting and the increase. And where we get that wrong in our minds is is we get it sort of backwards. See, Paul did not want to guilt them into giving. He says, I want you to give with a genuine, caring heart. Look at verse 7. He says, each person... He should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's making clear giving is inspired and motivated by God, and then we must act on it. Here's the truth. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. So why in the world do we try to cover it up? Try to disguise it. Because here's what I know: the more I live, the more I'm aware. Is this I serve an omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing God? Omnipresent God is everywhere all the time. Why do I try to fool Him? I can't fool Him. You can't fool Him. God knows our hearts. And what does it say right there? God loves what kind of heart? What kind of giver? A cheerful giver. God loves that heart as decided in our hearts, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. When you and I give willingly, with a cheerful heart, we're identifying with the heart of God because God himself is a cheerful giver. How is that best defined for you and I, that God is himself a model of a cheerful giver? Plain and simple, Jesus came to this earth to live a sinless life to die on the cross in my place for my sin and your sin, we didn't deserve it. God gave generously out of a cheerful, loving, joyful heart because He loves us. And God says, you model my heart by giving cheerfully and generously and joyfully to others. That's how you model God in our lives. And i got to understand that I'm investing this with God because God is in charge of the seed and the harvest and God loves a cheerful giver. And a practical method right here would be this. How many of you would ever take your life savings? We all need to plan. Planning is great. How many would take that and invest it with a firm or someone and you never checked them out? Oh, they'll be, they're all right. They're good. But they're holding your very savings in their hands. I think wisely we go and investigate. We check their past history. We check credentials. We check their past earnings on what they've done, how they've invested, what they've done with the monies they've invested, right? That's smart. That's the way it should be done. I want to challenge you with a thought. Take some time to investigate God of how reliable God is. When God says invest your time and your talents, your treasures, your resources, your money with me, give it to me because I'm in charge of the seed and the harvest. I'm in charge of it all. I own it all. Investigate him. See how worthy He is of giving you the given return. I think you'll blow your minds at how worthy He is of giving return back in His kingdom efforts and for His glory. Look at verse 9. It says, i 8, and God is able. I want you to identify that in this one verse how many times the word every or the form of every appears in this one verse. God is able to make every grace overflow. There's the abundance to you so that in every way... Always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God leaves nothing to chance. Investigate Him. Check Him out. God says, I leave nothing to chance here, and I'm leaving everything on the the table. Paul says we have everything we need. God's abundant grace means He'll provide plenty for our needs, for what He wants us to give as well. And this thing about when he says in verse 8, always having everything you need, that's not being independently wealthy. That's not the promise. The promise is that we have independence from people and circumstances that might come our way because we're dependent upon God. We trust in Him. And Jesus warned about the opposite of this in his parables in Luke 12. In In Luke 12, verse 15, he said, he told them, watch out, be on your guard against all greed, holding back and not trusting me with it because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he shares a story about the rich man who had an overabundance of his harvest. And he turned inward and said, well, my barn's not big enough. Now, I'll just tear them down build bigger barns because for more of my stuff. And God says, Jesus says, therefore that man was approached by God saying, this night your life is demanded from you. You're going to lose it anyway. It's a caution. It's a warning. And Paul says, in verse 8, you may excel in every good work. God prospers you and I so the cycle of blessing can continue. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And on and on and on the cycle goes. That's why God gives the abundance. A follow-up on that, skip down to verse 11. We're going to skip around for a second. He says, you will be enriched in every way, here's that word again, for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. There's the cycle. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. We're blessed to be a blessing to bring the attention and glory back to God. We're blessed to be a blessing to bring the glory back to God. And on and on that blessing goes, that cycle goes. God gets the thanks. God gets the credit. God gets the glory through it all, God multiplies what takes place. God increases what takes place. Look at verse 10. Jump back up. Now, the one who provides seed for the sower, here it is, and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see it? God says, I'm in charge of the seed. I'm, I'm in charge of the harvest. I'm in charge of everything. We sometimes get this so backwards that God... God is investing in his kingdom to the point of sending Jesus for us, so why should we doubt anything else? God provides and multiplies and increases the harvest, and he provides seed for the sower, and that bread for the food is the, is the fruit of the harvest. God says, I've got it all covered. You don't have to worry. I've got it all covered. But the end result in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, and I just again producing thanksgiving to God. And God says, you are simply, we are simply a conduit of God's blessing to others to pass it on to them. And it happens in sort of three phases, three words. God is that, first, reveal. Reveal is when we see the need. God makes us aware of the need that's before us. God puts it before our eyes, before our ears, before our lives. We see the need. It's revealed. Second word is response. That's when we get down on the knees and pray about what's been revealed, how God would use us to meet the need that he's revealed to us. So it's revealed and respond, then reality. That's when we act on what we've been revealed to us and how God has chosen and we responded in prayer. We react, we, reality is we act on what God has told us to do. Here's where we get it all messed up. We can many times think we live life as if well, 90% of what I got's God's because he asked me for 10% on an offering, tithes and offerings. Well, the tithe is really just the beginning, and really it's not 90% mine and 10% God's. I want to reverse those numbers for us. None of it's ours. Zero. God blesses us with what we need to provide for our lives, but it's not, it's not ours. And this is hard to swallow, but it's 0% mine and 100% God's. is mine, not 90%, the 100% God's. That's where we sometimes get messed up, and we, we live this life as if this life is all there is. We live this life as if it's going to end here. But I want to promise you this, that abundance of blessing in, in, in our lives, that abundance of thanks be to God, what Paul says here, what God what he says. And look at verse 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God, verse 13, for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. There's the abundance given back to God. It's all about God and His kingdom, not about this world. We're passing through here, if you're a believer. We think sometimes, we live as if this is all there is. I can't, there's a humorous story I came across years ago from the old columnist Ann Landers who received letters from people. She got a letter from a young lady one time and this young lady wrote in and she said about her uncle and her aunt. She said, my uncle was the tightest man I've ever known. All his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his paycheck and put it under his mattress. He lived a lot of years, saved a lot of money under that mattress. He got sick and was about to die. She said that he was dying. He said to his wife, my aunt said, honey, I want you to promise me one thing. She says, what is it? He said, promise me what? She, he, he said, I want you to promise me that when I'm dead, you'll take my money from under my mattress and put it in a ca- my casket so I can take it all with me. The girl's letter went on with the story. She said, My uncle did die, and my aunt, his wife, kept her promise. <laughs> she went in, got all the money from under his mattress the day he died. She went to the bank, deposited it all. She went home, she wrote a check, and put the check in the casket. She kept her word, but don't look for that check to pass. It's humor, and I, I laugh about that all the time when I read it. But it's like you know, we, unknowingly sometimes, and knowingly sometimes, we can live life that way. The reality is, those resources that God lets pass through our life, through our hands, through our, our possession, we will never take with us. But there's something that we will take with us: the investments in God's kingdom. Those are eternal. Those will outlast us into eternity. You will take your resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, your money, and invest those like God says to invest them because He has a seed and the, and the harvest. We invest in that way. Guess what happens in eternity? We are revealed blessing upon blessing because God's kingdom was expanded and multiplied because of how God used you and your resourcing in this life. I'm a believer, firm believer, there will be blessings there because we know that God's kingdom had been blessed because of God, us being willing and obedient to be used by God here on this side of heaven. God commands us, God calls us to give in this way, unselfishly. You know, many times we say, well, I can't afford to give. I want to challenge you with a thought, you can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to invest in God's kingdom. God says we're to give generously. God says we're to give willingly. God says we're to give joyfully. God says we're to be give sacrificially that others might receive in His name that thanks goes back to God and not to us. I read in Richard Stearns, the founder of World Vision, his book, he had a quote in there in an article and said, when we think about how rich we really are, and I, we can't fathom, I can't fathom the, the bezos of the world, the musk of the world, and the gates of the world. I can't fathom that. But I do know what my situation looks like. You know what your situation looks like. And the question, as we sit on the table, is what can God do with us? Well, he said in the article, he says, if your annual income is $13,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. How many of us would say that we rank in that top percent Don't raise your hands. Okay, I'm raising mine. Yeah, I can say at least 13. Income of $40,000 means you're wealthier than 99% of the world's population. See, God says it's not a question of how much we have. As much as it is, what we will do with what we have. God cares not only about what we do, about uh, what we do with our money, but also how we see our money. See, any money, any possessions we have, any talents we have, treasures we have, are all you be used to please Him because they're gifts. They're not ours, they're His. Where do we fall in this? We're going to cast a vision for you in coming months a vision called Summit International, a way to give towards missions above and beyond what we ever have done before in the life of our church. Quickly give you a snapshot. The Summit Community Church budget is like this, and you guys are generous and giving of your tithes and your offerings. Praise the Lord for that. We can keep the lights on, keep ministry moving forward. We can bless our backyard and beyond. We do this. We give out of what's given to us. We keep ministry flowing, but we also give it to missions out of our budget. We give generously out of our budget. That will not stop. But then there's going to be a little portion over here called Summit International, a little box in the corner. It's going to be give and go money. This money is designated airmarked for missionaries on the ground we give and go to. So that money will use nothing but, but for giving and going. And as we're challenging us, keep the tithes rolling to the church because the lights have to stay on. Ministry has to keep flowing to keep things moving forward. But our challenge would be something like, for example, an example is tithe off your tithe to Summit International. The tithe comes to the church body, the body of Christ, but then give a tithe off your tithe to Summit International. You give 100, give 10 to Summit International, 110 total, 10 over here. And we're, I'm challenged and blessed at what God might do is going to do through this. Because then we see a need in our backyard or beyond saying, we need to do an outreach in our community. How much is that going to run us? $3,000. let us take that money and airmark this for this and do this. Over, overseas where we're going to Central America, there's a big need to scholarship some kids for a private school. How much they need? They need X amount of dollars. Let's send that money over there to scholarship these kids. We need a soccer clinic or medical clinic to reach people with the gospel To have that pathway, that food, shelter, clothing, education to meet the need to get the bellies fed and the attention off of these things and we might share the gospel. Well, that's fun. How much do we need? $3,000. let us send 3000 to get this set up that we can now go and do that project. We want to challenge you and say go above and beyond in what's going to cost Summit International. As the days and weeks come move forward, we'll educate more on what that means. Because we agree, we're, that's a giving and going element of our giving here at Summit Community Church. We give and we go, and it's sort of above the general tithe. And it's something we're saying it's gonna be backyard and beyond. It's gonna reach in our backyards and reach beyond our borders to make an impact for the kingdom's sake. And as we sit around the table, sharing about different elements of our outreach and our missions. Each person at the table who's leading a charge in a certain area in a certain way can bring to the table what was needed, and we fund it, and then we give a reporting of what's taking place and how that money has been advanced for the kingdom. So exciting, so blessed to be a part of that, and moving forward in the next Sunday, Go Sunday. We're going to sing a new song as we conclude the message today. I I found this song a long time ago and and then when the band worship team decided to do it, I I was so blessed. The song is called Count the Cost. And I want to challenge you during this song just to open your eyes, open your hearts, open your ears to God. Let God speak and stir and work and move as only He can. And look at God in the eyes and say, God, are you worth the cost? Look at the world around us. Look at our backyard. Look at what we're revealing about our beyond reach and reaching some other people in other cultures. And say, is it worth it? And I think I can promise you this. If you look at God clearly in His eyes, clearly into His face, if you look, into the, if you look with God's eyes into His world around us, we consider investing in that, our response will be this, God, I've counted up the cost and You're worth it. God, I've counted the cost. I've given my time, my talents, and my resources, and my monies. And God, after I counted the cost, You're totally worth it. Your world is totally worth it because it's all about You and not about me. As we sing this song together, answer that in your own heart as we sing it together today. Let's stand together and sing, Father, have your way in our hearts. Speak, stir, work, move as only you can, that we can truly count the cost and know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you are indeed worth it. It's in your name we do pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.